0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Recoil affects hunting more than most hunters will ever understand. On this episode, we're going to talk about what you need to know about recoil to master it and to be as effective as possible in the woods. Welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide. we the podcast helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanidis, and today we're going to talk about what hunters need to know about recoil. Recoil is a big, big subject. I'm actually going to have to limit to, to fit it all into one episode here of, of what the most important things are to cover. But this is a massive subject as it relates to hunting recoil is a big deal and I think I can relate it best uh, as part of my own hunting journey right so I began um, shooting years and years ago even when I was a teenager before I ever had any opportunity to hunt I was able to do some 22 shooting and uh, developed in it a little bit got proficient at it um, practice with people that shot competition at the club and i just really enjoyed it and then i got a driver's license and was able to go and do whatever i wanted to do whenever i wanted to do and that was pretty much the end of that somehow but regardless uh you know i had taken classes i had gotten training i, I was um you know a pretty proficient shooter fast forward you know as i started to get into hunting some of the 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 first guns that i really that i acquired on, on my own and did some some amount of shooting with was 22 long rifle and 223 heavy barrel and things around that line and just did a lot of shooting with what we would say small caliber rifles uh and was i i would say proficient i wouldn't say great because um i know of people who are great and uh, a lot of people say that they're great, and they're not. They they really have no idea what they're talking about. But I'd say I was proficient. Well, you know, I then got to the point where I started getting into bigger caliber rifles and, and you know, not, not competitions or anything, but just going out in the range and, you know, spending a few hours, you know, every, every other Saturday and just doing some shooting. And uh, what I discovered was when i was shooting a 22 a 223 things of that nature for the most part i was able to get you know three quarter inch groups half inch groups at 100 yards and yeah i have got good 22 ammo can easily shoot a 100 or a one inch group at 100 yards uh it's it's quality stuff and and it's still almost point blank right on at 50 yards and 25 yards uh it's just some good high velocity heavy stuff, but regardless, you know it was really good to shooting with those those kind of rounds two two three heavy barrel with a scope you know three quarter inch groups all day long at a hundred yards, not every group, but consistently able to to hit that mark well then I started shooting more thirty thirty or thirty thirty three oh eight thirty out six other three oh eights 76254 which is the russian equivalent of of 30-06 and all of a sudden now i'm shooting three inch groups four inch groups five inch groups with all of these rifles trying to figure out what is going on uh you know what what's the deal with this like i know how to shoot i understand the basics of trigger control breathing movement uh i i've got I understand those things. I could pick up this rifle and shoot really well, and I pick up this rifle, and and I'm terrible by my standards. You know, maybe a five-inch group is okay for you, but for me, that's terrible. Um, so I, you know, at least what I had been used to all my life to that point. So I'm trying to figure this thing out. You know, first I'm like, all right, is is it the gun? You know, yeah. well, I'm like, or right, is it all these guns? It can't be all the guns, right? So I'm trying to think about this. And of course, you know, the, the 22s and the 223s, I had tuned really well. I had the triggers really well. So I thought, okay, I'm just really familiar with these guns. I just need to, to shoot more rounds to get more familiar with these other guns. And I did that and it helped a little, but for the most part, I was nowhere close. And you know, a five inch group is, you know, that's okay for deer hunting at a hundred yards or less shooting from a bench but all of a sudden you start shooting offhand and you know the rifle has about a five inch group but now you've got some movement and you've got adrenaline and you've got nerves and you're looking at 10 inch groups you know realistically speaking offhand at a 100 yards and to me 10 inch group on a white tail is just it's just not not good enough for hunting so uh, you know, just trying to figure that out. Now, at that same rifle, at 30 yards, you're at a three-inch group. So, you know, not so bad. At that, you know, At short range, that would still be fine. But for the standard I was working on, it just wasn't, it wasn't there. So I started looking into this thing and trying to do some research, trying to figure this out. And there's a couple factors. There's three main factors to, to overcoming recoil. That, that I learned. And I'm going to talk about those in a few minutes. But had I not dug into that, had I not gotten to and understood those threat things, you know, I, I just would have been a lousy shot. Who knows forever? Not quite figured out why. But recoil really matters. Recoil affects four main things as it relates to hunting. Number one, it affects accuracy, as I just mentioned. It It can affect whether or not you are able to hit the intended target. It affects accuracy. 10 inches at 100 yards can be the difference between a shot in the vitals and a complete miss of the target. Or worse, a bad shot on the target that, you know, wounds and doesn't kill or just isn't recoverable and the animal suffers. That's the worst case scenario. Missing is preferred to that every time. Uh, The second thing recoil affects is fun it affects your fun. If your gun kicks too hard, you're just going to enjoy shooting it less. So you're going to practice less. You're going to be less proficient. You're going to be less able in the field. And and then when you do use it in the field, you're not going to be looking forward to it. Like, well, you know, hunting is not about fun. It's, well, yeah, it is. What are you, crazy? Hunting is about fun. This is why we hunt. You know, a lot of people who are meat hunters, so-called They're hunting for fun first and meat second, or they're hunting for meat first and fun second, but fun is in the top two. I heard someone say recently, you know, hunting is the most expensive way to get free food. And I thought, you know what, that is absolutely true. By the time you factor in everything that it takes for gear and equipment and firearms and time and scouting and the time you spend in the woods, you could have been investing that time to make money to buy the food that you're getting. Uh, but that's another another episode right there. So it affects accuracy, it affects fun, and it affects confidence. It affects your confidence as a shooter and as a hunter. It affects your confidence with any particular firearm. Whether or not you feel like you can make a shot, whether or not you feel like you should take a shot, whether or not you're you, 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 you feel confident, you feel good about yourself, period, carrying that gun or just in general as a hunter or a shooter. It can affect your confidence. It can also affect your health. It can absolutely, positively, in reality, injure you and cause physical damage. So there is this whole macho factor surrounding recoil. You know people pick up a massive firearm you know 500 nitro express or you know 50 caliber BMG and a lightweight bolt action shoulderable rifle and you know pull the trigger and it all but knocks them to the ground and they go ah ha, ha, see I can handle it well by handle it you mean what not die you mean what not fall over you mean what? You didn't cry, but what were you able to hit with that firearm? What target were you able to hit? Were, were you able to to hit a to hit a clay pigeon at a hundred yards? Were you able to hit a pie plate at a hundred yards? Were, what are you able to do it? And how many times can you do that? And how much how much did you enjoy that? Problem? What did you learn? What did you gain? People just shoot these massive calibers just to just to say, oh, they can take it, they can handle it, you know, just, you know, they're they're macho. That is ridiculous. That's a waste of ammunition. It's often a waste of a firearm in the hands of, of someone who has no way to make use of it. It's absolutely asinine. And what's worse you know, that somebody wants to be stupid, they can go and be stupid. That's their prerogative. It's a free country. But what's worse is maybe you've heard this story, maybe this happened to you. Somebody will take a kid, right? 11-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid. And, you know, they've never they've never shot a gun before, you know, and often it's, you know, their dad or their uncle or whoever it is. All right, we're going to you want to shoot? We'll go shooting. So what's the first thing they put in their hands? A 30 six, or a 300 Winchester Magnum, or a 12 gauge with turkey loads? Something they're just absolutely incapable of handling with their body weight. They pull that trigger and it knocks them over, or all but knocks them over. You know, jerk. They never even teach them how to hold the gun right, how to shoulder it, how to how to grip it you know butts into their shoulder sometimes it springs up hits them in the face and they feel like they've been kicked by a mule and the dad or the uncle or whoever just laughs and all the other guys sitting around just laugh say ah ha ha," like it's a rite of passage or some nonsense you know what that does i'll tell you what that does that makes a kid never want to shoot another gun ever again it makes them never want to hunt. It makes them sour and bitter towards guns and firearms and hunting altogether. It makes them sour and bitter against hunters. I think, well, if if people are going to act like that and do that to people, I don't want those kind of people in my life. I don't want to be associated with people like that. And I have met lots of people who are. 30 and 40 and 50 years old and have they ever shot a gun yeah they shot a gun and that was them they were 10 or 11 or 15 or whatever and or six and somebody put this massive firearm with egregious recoil in their hands and injured them or hurt them or made them feel stupid or whatever it was now's the last time they ever shot one and never want to again couldn't care less about it Turned off act. Some of them become anti-hunters and anti-shooters. They become some of your your gun control advocates and and so on. Why? Because people are absolutely asinine. You can, it. it I'm, it's like walking up to a twelve year old and say, oh, "Okay, you want to go outside and have fun? Let me punch you in the face. Okay. Well, do you like me more now? Well, you know." 12-year-old needs to know what it's like to be punched in the face by their dad. No. No, they don't. They never need to know that. You know what you should have done? You should have taken them out with a twenty-two long rifle and a tin can or, or a pop bottle or not a bottle, excuse me, don't use bottles, or a, a pop can, soda can, and shoot that thing and have their first impression of shooting and of hunting be fun, be enjoyable. Let them feel like this is something they can do, something that's attainable, something that's enjoyable, something they want to do again. Create a positive moment. I don't just mean children. I mean your coworkers. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 25 or 60. You're going to take one of your co-workers to the range for the first time. Don't put a 30 six in their hands. Give them a 22. Have the first time they pull that trigger and the anxiety and excitement that goes with it be, be something that is not painful or something that is not hurtful or something that is not a turnoff. You know, most people who've never shot a gun before, they're happy to shoot a 22. Maybe after an hour or two of that, they, they want to try something. You know that that has a little more oomph. Well, perfect. Move them up to the next step. Move them up to the next level. Put a put a two four put a two two three in their hands. Put a two forty three in their hands. You know they want to move up to a three zero oh eight. Great, but you move at their pace. You 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 move you you you're, you are a guide. You are helping them through this thing. Helping them to develop. Helping them to to experience and be introduced to something new for the first time don't make that a painful experience like hazing them or something oh you want to shoot well first you got to be punched in the face you know stuff like that makes me literally just want to reach through the earbuds of people and just punch them in the face like are you seriously going to do this to another person do it's not a joke it's not a game recoil is serious there are people that have ended up in the hospital. There are people who have ruined their shoulder, just can't shoot anything anymore other than a 22, because they have just wounded themselves being macho and month after month and year after year shooting things that are beyond their physical ability to shoot and have just done irreparable damage to their body. There is no reason for this. Macho doesn't help anything or anybody it doesn't help you it doesn't help new hunters having more gun than you need or having more gun than you're able to handle is completely ridiculous it's it is not something that gets you any points or gets you any more success by any means so how does this recoil thing work so recoil is a science it is an absolute science, and I'm not gonna give you the raw equations and formulas, you can Google that, but it is a science, and essentially the major va- variables are bullet weight, or grains, bullet mass, powder, or power, and, and depending on the formula you look at, those the, either one of those numbers can be how much powder is in the case that's gonna push that bullet to what velocity, coming out of the muzzle of that gun so you've got bullet size you've got power you have the weight of the gun the weight of the gun so and again we could get into all the equations recoil is often measured in a pounds uh uh, uh, in a pounds formula so how many pounds of recoil does a particular rifle have well there's, there's two things to this. You have actual recoil and you have felt recoil. So, actual recoil and felt recoil. Actual recoil, there is no mitigating force, it is power and bullet mass. And that is going to, the, the, the energy that comes out of the front of the gun, the equal and opposite quantity of that is going to be the energy that comes backwards into the shooter. But just like anything else in the world, we, the reality is not that simple. The weight of the gun impacts the felt recoil. Felt recoil is the amount of recoil perceived by the shooter. So say you have a six-pound 30 30-06 Six-pound rifle chambered in 30-06. You wanna you want a really light rifle that you can hike through the mountains with? Maybe you're gonna go elk hunting or something. And you're going to hike for miles and miles and miles every day. And the lighter the rifle, the better. It's a legitimate use. It's a legitimate setup. You got a six pound 30-odd six. This rifle is going to kick like a mule. It is going to be like a donkey kicked you in the shoulder. So it's felt recoil number. Maybe it's somewhere around, it's going to be 30 or 40 pounds of felt recoil just boom into your shoulder now you up that gun same caliber same everything and you have a you up it to an eight pound gun you you're going to reduce that felt recoil by something like 20 to 30 percent you add another pound on top of that or another two pounds it's going to go down all the more so if you have a 10 pound 30-06 which is a heavy gun it's going to be drastically more manageable it's going to be much easier to shoot it's going to be much more comfortable it's also going to be harder to carry through the woods but you know if you double the weight of the gun and i have to go back i don't have the formula in front of me right now but you may actually more than have the amount of felt recoil i'm not sure exactly what the curve or the scale on that looks like but the whole, the heavier the gun the less the felt recoil The other variable is the weight and mass and body structure of the shooter. So if you have someone who is, you know, weighs a hundred pounds and they have a rifle that has 30 pounds of felt recoil, well, that 30 pound punch into their shoulder, them weighing a hundred pounds, what's their upper body weight? What's the mass of their shoulders and their arms that is going to have much bigger impact it's, it's going to affect them more than someone who weighs 200 pounds. Because now, you have to think about, okay, that gun's hitting back into your shoulder, and your your body is turning, it is it is shifting a little bit, it is adjusting to absorb that recoil. Even if you're sitting or laying down, your body still moves, even if it's only a fraction of an inch, your body still moves to, to absorb that, to in, in response to it, it, just moves your body. This is another thing to keep in mind. If you shoot standing, also known as offhand, versus shooting down, laying on the ground, which is called prone. If you're shooting offhand, usually your whole upper body, your whole shoulders, your your whole from the waist up, you're gonna turn. You're gonna you're gonna have more movement, more flex. With the shot, then if you're laying down, there's nowhere to go, so the rifle's just gonna gonna hit you, and you're gonna have less body movement. So you're actually gonna perceive a little bit less recoil standing than you would laying down or even sitting. So that's just just to know. You know, you can you can shoot a gun standing up and say, oh, this is this is not so bad. But then you sit down and shoot it, and you're, like, oh, actually, it's a little it's a little sharper than I remember. Well, no, it's because the position that you're shooting from can impact your body's ability to absorb recoil. But back to the weight thing. So you've got somebody that weighs 200 pounds versus 100 pounds. Well, their upper may maybe twice as much mass. So you know that moves your upper body a half inch versus the person who weighs 100 pounds a half inch. Well, now there's twice as much mass being moved, so there's twice as much of you that is absorbing that impact and it's being spread over, over more area and through more tissue, so it's going to affect you less. Someone that weighs 300 pounds, or 400 pounds, assuming that it's not just all in the belly, they're going to they have even more mass, even more weight. You know, somebody who's seven foot tall shooting a 30odd six, to them it's going to be like someone who's five foot tall shooting a 243. It is just going to be a completely different experience because they have so, I mean, their hands just wrapped around the gun, their arms, just the sheer mass and weight of their hands and their arms there is going to mitigate some of that recoil. And then hitting their shoulders is going to mitigate a lot more recoil. They're going to feel it much less. It's going to be a much better situation for them. So when people talk about oh well this gun is for people who are light framed sometimes people take that as an insult or they say oh this gun's for women and children people take that as an insult well no it's science now maybe maybe it's being said as an insult I don't know but if someone is is not attempting to be insulting it's science women and children have typically have less body mass in the upper body right children obviously I mean, you know, take it down to the point where they're just born. They weigh nothing. They're eight pounds. Women, on the other hand, even full grown, same age as a man, typically has less upper body mass in the shoulders and in the arms. So it's going to have more perceived recoil. You take a person who, who is short or small or wiry or, you know, whatever it is. The recoil is going to affect them more because they have less physical mass. It's not about how tough they are. It's not about how macho they are. It is physics. So you've got these factors all that all come together. So, the, one of the questions is how much gun do you need to do the job you want to do? Most people don't need a 30 six for anything, they just do not. Like well, for deer hunting, you do not need a thirty out six for deer hunting period in fact, um you know one of the, the one of the biggest misnomers to deer hunting and a lot of game hunting is just how much gun do you really need to do that job the the two forty three Winchester, in my opinion in the opinion of a lot of experts who have been at this longer and know more than me, is that. The 243 Winchester is maybe the single most versatile and and effective rifle caliber ever made and it is the most widely accepted and adopted outside of a military chambering of rifle of big game or medium-sized game rifle calibers. 243 Winchester um, due to the 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 size and mass of the bullet can have an excellent, um, I wanted to say ballistic coefficient, but it's the other one, sectional density. You should go back and listen to that episode. That, that's some good stuff there. It has the ideal sectional density, same sectional density that a 30-06 has when it comes to penetrating wild game, when it comes to making it through a deer. So you have excellent sectional density based on the diameter of the bullet and the length of the bullet and the mass thereof for penetration and powering through bone and flesh and so on. 243 has more than enough power; it is more than adequate to take down a deer. Yet people are going to go often go with a 30-06, which can literally be double the power. It's also going to be double the recoil. In fact, it may even be be more than that depending on the factors, but you you you've got people that are going for way, way more gun than they need. So you get a, a 243, it's one of the best calibers out there. Depending on the bullet selection, you can get a light bullet, use that for varmints, coyotes, whatever you want to do. You get a heavy bullet, you can use that for deer. You get the heaviest bullets that they make. You can use it for elk. People have taken elk with 243 effectively. I think you probably want to step up to something a little bigger for elk. But for deer, for hogs, for sheep and goats, and coyotes and foxes, 243 is all that you need. It is maybe the most versatile of all rifle calibers. It's got more power and more importantly more sectional density than a 223 you've got more range you've got just excellent characteristics and you have modest recoil you have significantly light recoil which is very important to a lot of people you know they they start a lot of kids off with a 243 for deer hunting well it's not it, it's not just it's not a kid's gun it just so happens that it's more than adequate for deer hunting. It has low recoil, doesn't need to be a heavy gun, and it's, it's modestly priced, so it, it fits that bill perfectly. But there's no reason an adult shouldn't use that tool either. So the 243 Winchester is just an excellent choice for a low recoil firearm that is more than sufficient for most kinds of hunting. And people want to up from there a little bit, you, you can go to a 308 which is a little less than a 30 six which is all the power that you need for elk hunting and other big game hunting you don't need to go higher you don't need to go to a bigger and more powerful caliber just because it's popular just because it's you know people hold it in high esteem ballistically speaking and in terms of recoil it's it's unnecessary and unhelpful so you know, you need to to keep in mind. So taking this all back to hunting now, recoil and accuracy, recoil and fun, recoil and confidence, recoil and health. You do not want more recoil than you need. And the way there are ways to mitigate that. So there are certain cartridges and loads that have less power and less recoil. So I've got a 30, 30 lever action, They make the ideal deer hunting bullet, and then they also make uh, a low recoil version. Uh, So you've got less power, you've got less oomph, you also have less ballistics, you've got less uh, energy on the intended target, but for short range, people shooting at 30 and 40 and 50 yards, more than sufficient. So there are low, lightly loaded rounds that you can get, even, even factory ammunition that is just loaded lightly to have less recoil. Other thing you can do is have a bigger gun, heavier gun, longer barrel. Things that add weight and mass to the firearm are going to reduce recoil. One, one gun that I have is a Mosin the Gaunt and 762 by 54 chambering. Which is basically the same ballistics as a 30 or as a 30 six. Well, this gun, the way that I have it set up with all the bells and whistles and modernized modernizations and so on, this gun weighs about 12 pounds, which is massive. In fact, I did an episode on it called The Worst Rifle for Deer Hunting, and it was this one absolutely terrible hunting gun. just can't even shoulder it for more than a few seconds without starting to sway and your shoulder starting to burn and your arms going numb just from the the weight and the mass of it. But I'll tell you what, it has very little recoil. Despite that big bullet, despite all that power, it has very little recoil. You can shoot that thing all day long because it is so heavy. You can shoot it all day long so you've got a big chambering but you add enough weight to it and all of a sudden it just tames it right down so you want to think about things like that you want to consider that and typically people want the lightest gun they can get and there may be a reason there may be times where you do want the lightest gun you can get but you need to think about you know what's going on if you're a lighter person lighter frame person you just you know you weigh less you have less physical mass and you want to hunt big game you want to go after elk you want to go after moose you need a you need a higher caliber rifle you need something that is maybe more recoil than you can comfortably comfortably manage well you can get a bigger gun and you can get a heavier gun you can you can add some weight to that gun just so you can put a bigger scope on it you can you know, there's sometimes you can even add accessories if it comes to that, or you can get a heavier stock or whatever it may be. You could get a heavier gun that will help you manage that recoil. Now it's not going to be fun to drag it through the woods and all of that, but that can at times be the better solution. Same thing when it comes to shotguns. A lot of times, you know, 12 gauge versus a uh, 12 gauge magnum you know, something that's chambered in three and a half inch shells versus something that's chambered in three inch shells, the magnum gun is going to weigh more. It doesn't have to weigh more, but they know at the manufacturer to make this thing tolerable, to make this thing manageable to the average person, they just have to add a little extra weight to it, or it's just going to hurt too much and people aren't going to want to ever shoot it. It's just going to get a bad rap. So they risk making the gun heavier for the sake of a shootability, even though people want lighter guns, because they know that it's overkill for most people. So you, you can manage the weight of the gun. So what do you do when it comes down to actually being accurate with a gun that has high recoil? So I mentioned this earlier. There, there were steps I had to take in order to shoot more accurately with a, a higher caliber, bigger recoiling firearm. And there's three main things. Number one, I had to change the way I was holding the gun. You know, when I would shoot a 22 long rifle or even a, a 223 with a heavy barrel on and I mentioned the heavy barrel because the two two three weighs an extra pound or two with that heavy barrel, and it really reduces that recoil. It just it just has a little bit more kick. That that eight pound two two three has almost as much recoil as the five pound twenty-two long rifle. It it, it's it's very it's very interesting how just a little extra weight, despite that extra power, can make that much of a difference. But I'd shoot those guns with minimal recoil. You know, I would not hold it snugly in my shoulder. I it wouldn't always even be touching my shoulder, depending on you know if I'm shooting out on a bench or from a rest or prone. Didn't didn't really matter. Didn't need it to. You know, my hands wouldn't really hold that gun tightly. Didn't need to. In fact, sometimes I would just have it, my front hand would just be pushing on the sandbag and squeezing the sandbag to, to get the adjustment right up and down. And my other hand would just barely be on the, on the guard and my trigger finger would just lightly pull the trigger and I had very little contact with the gun. Didn't, didn't matter. Still doesn't matter. Can, can shoot really well like that. But all of a sudden, put a .308 down, that doesn't work anymore. Because what's happening is you pull that trigger, there's enough energy that two things are happening. One, there is uh, there is force that begins to affect the rifle in terms of recoil before the bullet leaves the gun. And two, there's potential for vibration that can also impact the, the, the bullet leaving the gun. So, You know, these small things, they might seem tiny, but that can amount to an inch or two or more at a hundred yards. So I had to change the way that I held. I had to, to pull the butt of that rifle snug in my shoulder. And I started to notice, you know, some of these bigger rifles, the better ones, they come with a little recoil pad, you know, something that just a little bit of smush to it in your shoulder. And then that smushes, and what that's doing is, is slowing down the force from the gun into your body and, and delaying that a little bit, mitigating that over a few extra milliseconds, which really helps improve the amount of recoil that's going into your body, and it just hurts a little bit less. But, uh, you know, shooting that, i got to hold that snug in my shoulder. i got to hold the, the grip of the firearm snugly. My front arm, if, depending on how I'm shooting it, I'm either going to be holding that stock and gripping the stock with a firm grip. If I can pull pull my elbow in, lock it into my body, or if I'm shooting from a rest to, to sight it in, I've got it uh, wedged in a, in a sandbag set up, and then I've got my left hand, it's going to be over top of that front scope ring, and, and just gripping it there, pulling it, you know, keeping it settled, keeping it down, and just real snug t- tight her- or tight firm hold on the rifle. Number 2, flinching. Also known as anticipating the recoil. Oftentimes people, you know, will videotape themselves shooting to see how they're doing on this. If you know that there's going to be significant amount of recoil when you pull that trigger, you will actually move to begin to compensate for the recoil before you've even shot the gun and before the bullets even left the gun. So that flinch, it's imperceptible to most people. They don't even know that they're doing it. One of the ways you can tell is if you're mentoring somebody or somebody's mentoring you, have them load your magazine and either put a blank or a snap cap or just don't chamber around, but you think there's a bullet in there, or they think there is a round in there, so they got the gun pointed down on the target, they're ready to take the shot, they pull the trigger, nothing happens, it just goes click, but their body moves as if they shot. It's subconscious, it's, it's psychological that we're, we're doing this, but it's because we're afraid of the recoil, we're anticipating the recoil, we're trying to mitigate the recoil, and that will impact accuracy. Because we think it's gonna be this big kick. Or even even if it's a mild kick, it's still we're in, we're we're concerned, we're we're trying to, to 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 move and adjust and account for that. So we flinch, we anticipate the recoil. So you need to practice that, we need to work on that. Sometimes, you know, you get some snap caps, they're basically dummy rounds. And you know, have someone else load your magazine and put one in there. Don't don't tell you which one it is. So you get practice shooting the real thing and you don't know which one's going to be the fake one. And then you can sort of work on gauging and, and judging and relaxing and anticipating, which is another reason why you shouldn't be shooting something that's too big for you. You need to be shooting something that's manageable for your size, for your experience, for your weight, and for the game that you're going after. You, you have to have, you have to think about these things and then there's the rifle hardware, number three. With a twenty-two, you know, I never once had to think about was my scope torqued down, where my scope rings tight enough, where it was the scope base mounted to the rifle tight enough. None of that mattered. There was no vibration. Nothing was shaking loose. Nothing was being being rattled off. But when it came to starting to shoot bigger calibers, I found out, you know what? That If that front scope base... It's, it's it's on, but it's not tight. It's not torqued down to spec. There can be just a little bit of a little bit of rattle, a little bit of vibration in there. And that vibration can have effect at a hundred yards and beyond. So all of a sudden you need to make sure, okay, is that scope tight? Are the rings or excuse me, is the base tight to the rifle? You got lock tight on it. Is it torqued down to, to factory specs? Are the scope rings mounted to the base tight? Are they torqued down? You got Loctite on that screw to make sure that they're not just coming undone or getting loose on you. Is the scope firmly and snugly seated in those rings? Have you lapped those rings in order to, to, to get maximum contact of, of steel to scope? So it's you've got you know full contact patch. And then if you got those rings secure, is the scope quality. Some of these new rifle packages, sometimes you get a def- decent scope on the gun. Sometimes it's garbage. You know, I've had the scope fail, where literally the crosshairs would just, if you just sort of rattled the gun a little bit, the crosshairs would move back and forth a half an inch. Or, or they would just freeze up or seize, and you turn the thing, but nothing happens to the crosshairs. I mean, you have all kinds of issues that can happen so is the scope working is it quality you know on the gun is the are the action screws tight the the screws that secure the metal to the wood to the stock is is that tight are all the pieces tight is your barrel obstructed underneath or is it something putting pressure on it or is it supposed to be free floated and it's not free floated sometimes you know a wood stock can swell based on humidity or shrink you know that can impact things. So you got all this stuff that can factor into it with a bigger caliber rifle that has some recoil to it. And all of this needs to be squared away and nailed down and practiced and figured out before you go into the field. You got to have that confidence. You, you you need to know that this gun's going to put a bullet where you want it to go. You need to have confidence that that you have what you consider an acceptable level of accuracy for the kind of hunting you're going to do, so you got to go to the range. You got to spend some time. You got to shoot a couple boxes of ammo. You, you you need to shoot that gun more than once ever. And it's something that you know, you don't have to go out every week or every month, but you ought to shoot this thing a few times a year. It ought to be comfortable to you. It ought to be familiar to you. You you need to. to to understand this tool and how it works in your hands. So all of these things come together. Now, the last thing I wanna mention is muzzle rise. You know, how come when you pull the trigger, the muzzle of the gun goes up, right? The the bullet's going out straight. How come the rifle doesn't come straight back into you? Well, it's because of the stock. The stock design, the way that we we build stocks to, to fit into our body, to fit around our arms, the way that the grip is under the action. That's the key. The grip is under the barrel. When it shoots, it torques upward because of the stock and because of where the grip is. That's why machine guns and fully automatic guns, they just rise right up. is because the grip's on the bottom. You know, good stock can, can compensate for that a little bit, but it's just a matter of torque and physics because of the stock is mounted on the bottom. The grip's on the bottom. There's more force from you on the bottom than the top, so you've got that. One way you can compensate that a little bit is a muzzle brake, which is um, sometimes something that can be screwed on or inserted on one way or another to the end of the barrel that will vent exhaust gas from the barrel upwards and outwards in order to um, give you some push down that can help mitigate muzzle rise and recoil a little bit Um, I don't really recommend that because you're adding weight. You can affect accuracy with that. You're also having noise things. All of a sudden now you're pushing those exhaust gases up into the sides instead of straight out. Well, now it's going to be louder to the person shooting it. So if you're going to do that at the range, okay, it doesn't really matter. You're wearing ear protection. But if you're going deer hunting or elk hunting, very rarely do people have ear protection. So it's gonna be louder to the shooter, which is not a positive. So, and and if you have a, a gun that is so much power, and has so much muzzle rise that you want to have a muzzle break for hunting for that one shot you're gonna take, chances are you've got more gun than you need. That's just the bottom line to it. You probably have more gun than you need. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Recoil what it does how you can manage it, what you need to be aware of, and how you can help other people. You know, if you're taking someone shooting for the first time, take a .22 with you. Take a, you know, an intermediate caliber with you, a 223 or a 243. And if they need to or want to shoot something bigger, bring that and work your way up to it. You know, um, you know some people they they do things that i would not recommend but it happens so you've got people that you know they've never hunted before and they you know their friend wants to take them on an elk hunt or they want to go moose hunting or whatever whatever the opportunity is or you know they've done a little bit of hunting but okay we're going to go elk hunting or moose hunting so we're going to take uh you know 300 winchester magnum and head into the woods well, you need to shoot anything you're going to hunt with first. That's just a good rule of thumb. And but you should not take somebody to the range with a 300 Winchester Magnum and say, you know, okay, here they've never shot a gun before. Shoot this. Well, no, you need to take them to the range with the 22 and hopefully, you know, work on that 22. Learn about trigger control. Learn how to shoot accurately with that first. When the bullets cost five cents a bullet instead of two to five dollars a bullet and then have something else in the intermediary have a 3030 or a 308 or 243 that you know they can experience less recoil and you know shoot some rounds with that and then if they have to move up to something bigger for the job then move up but you know over the course of an hour to you know walk them through the process of teaching them how to shoot and do this thing So hope that's helpful for you guys. Go ahead, head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. Check out the show notes, leave a review, send me an email. Would love to hear from you. Subscribe, share this podcast with other people, the whole kit and caboodle. So till next time, God bless you and go get them in the woods.